All right. Well, I feel really prepped after the, you know, the worship guy prayed and, and all of that. I'm feeling uh, ready. Uh, my name is Janice. I'm one of the staff pastors here. I'm so glad to be uh, bringing the message to you this morning. Somebody said, where's Pastor Joe this morning? He is in Wilmore, Kentucky, visiting the Vineyard Church that is over there. I don't know if you, if, if you're kind of new to the whole Vineyard movement, you may think that we're the only folks there is. And we are really part of a much larger movement, and there is a wonderful church over next to Asbury College, and um, actually some of the men went on our men's retreat, and 19 of their ladies are coming with us on our ladies' retreat, so it's kind of like a sister church, and um, they have just recently, they're in an old Methodist building and have just recently been able to meet there. They're a large congregation, but they're able to meet now on Sunday mornings, and that's been a big deal. They've been a Sunday night church for a long, long time. So he is over there visiting this morning, and if I know him, they're a one-service church. He'll be back here before second service is out, so you'll have a chance to see him. If you have your Bibles, we're going to dig right in. Are you ready? Luke. Uh, Everybody go to Luke chapter 17. When I was a child, this is the story that we always got at about this time of year in Sunday school. And, um, and I don't know why God just really laid this on my heart to teach from this morning, and so um, I'm just going to lay it out. I was actually in Mishawaka um, uh, speaking at a vineyard church up there, which is a much larger church than us. By the way, they send greetings, and, um, and, and I just appreciate the fact that, that we're all doing this together, and now I can't remember why I brought that church up, but I was going to tell you something about them. Um, but at any rate, this is the path. Oh, I know what it was. They were praying over me, and, I, and the pastor said, you know, he was praying over Janice to speak the right words. He goes, we know she's never nervous, but whatever, whatever. And I, and I stopped, and I said, whoa. I said, I'm, I'm not nervous about teaching. I love to teach, right? I, w- I was educated to teach. I'm always nervous about whether or not I'm delivering what God wants you to hear. And so there's not a nervousness about that. There's, there's a sacredness to that. And so I'm trusting that God wants me to stick to my notes this morning and to, and to give that to you this morning. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Now, understand, if you had leprosy in this day... You know, it might be the, the absolute scientific version of leprosy, but it also might have been virtually any skin condition that was considered contagious. Anything that kept you, you know, that people didn't want you to give the plague to the next people, that's who is, are in these leper colonies, okay? So 10 lepers, not that I'm, I'm arguing with the scripture, but 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice because they weren't allowed to approach. Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, we always got this story at this time of the year because it was a story about thanks, about thanksgiving. And so we learned as children that this is why you were supposed to be thankful and all of those naughty nine lepers didn't do it and the one did and, and all of that. And, and I get it. We've got one more holiday to get through before we get to Thanksgiving, but 
your Thanksgiving message. Here we are. This is what we're doing today, okay? This is a season of giving thanks. So if you need a title for the message today, I want to talk about the grace of giving. The grace of giving. But before we get to points, there's a few story beats that I just want to hit as we, as we roll down through this. There are 10 lepers who are positioned on the outskirts of town. And again, the only reason it seems that Jesus even gets close enough to these guys is because he is traveling through a border region. He's on the margins of the group. And there, that's a whole message in itself if you wanted to go there. But that's where he comes into contact with these guys who are being separated from the body of, of their community uh, for fear of contagion. And boy, do we understand that these days, right, in terms of what we've been through in the past uh, few years. They have to yell to Jesus in order to get help. And then without any evidence of healing yet, Jesus sends them to the priests. They don't wait until they're cleansed. Jesus doesn't make sure that they're healed before he sends them away. He sends them packing, and they obey him. They go, and they're healed as they obey as they obey, that's, as the, that's when the healing comes on them. And here's what they're doing. When he says go to the priest, they are going to the priest, and it's kind of creepy, to be inspected. Okay, the priests are, are actually serving, and the Levites tended to serve almost a doctor role. It was their job to inspect and make sure that the skin contagion is truly gone and to basically give them the rubber stamp of clear. Now you are free to enter back into society because you are cleared of your contagion. Okay, and then the lepers after doing that would have been required to give a sacrifice to the temple in uh, proportion, in, in uh, respect to whatever their issue was. Okay, you will find all those details in, um, in Leviticus if you want to get into that. Okay, so this is a story of thanks. It's also a story of giving. One-tenth came back to give thanks. It is not lost on me as I was reading this, and I don't know why God took me here, but it is not lost on me that a tithe of those who are healed came back in gratitude. One-tenth is what a tithe is. Now listen, I know that we get uncomfortable with messages about tithing and giving, but it represents the whole gospel, and to skip it means that we're not teaching the, the entire gospel, okay? And so buckle up for a little bit and, and we'll get through this and, and you know, you can be fussy at me later or tune me out or whatever, all right? But here's what I wanna tell you. Giving is a social grace. Giving is a grace that we need to learn and exhibit, not as nice people, right? We're not just, I mean, we're entering into a season here at the church where we're going to give so many things, right? We're getting ready for this pumpkin party, and we're going to be giving away free food. We're going to be giving away walking tacos. We're going to be getting, the line for cotton candy was out the, out the mall last year, right? Everybody wanted, we're giving things away in an effort to demonstrate who we are and what God has for them by bringing them in the doors. But we're not just doing this as a nice person. When we're giving things away at the food pantry, if any of you are interested in getting involved in that, the food pantry is an awesome ministry that's an extension of what we do here, but we're not just giving away food as nice people. We're giving away food in Jesus' name. We're giving away things because of who Jesus is to us. Any of you can throw a pumpkin party. 
We're doing that in the name of Jesus to invite them to come in the door. We're going to give away food at Thanksgiving. We're going to give away beds at, at Christmas. We're going to be doing a lot of things. You know, stay tuned. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. I've been uh, studying through 2 Corinthians lately, and, uh, and I'm, I was just amazed again to see that the Apostle Paul, in his attempts to teach the church, who are a church for a while, spends a great deal of time teaching them about giving. A great deal of time, he emphasizes the importance of collection and, and what that means. And this is what he says about it. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. So, that's what I want to talk about this morning. How can we begin to excel in the grace of giving? And I don't think it simply means writing a bigger check. I don't think that's where we're at, okay? What does that mean? From the story of the lepers, here's my points. First of all, I think the grace of giving is found first in the attitude. In the attitude, giving begins with gratitude. And I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that that rhymes. That's not the point, right? I mean, the attitude of giving is the fact that we're, we're thankful that we have gratitude for what is going on. Now, a little story I'm going to tell on myself. Uh, Joe and I got married 40 years ago this December. We're getting ready to celebrate 40 years. And um, back then, when you went and ordered your invitations, we called it wedding stationery. Stay with me if you know what I am, if you're younger than what you just, it was cards that had an invitation written on it, okay? And you ordered it, and you picked your font and your color, and there were all these coordinating things. You had your invitation, and then you had an invitation to the rehearsal, and then, you know, a couple other things. You had a reply card that you printed up. I mean, it was like you were the, you know, I don't know, the princess or something. And then you printed thank you cards. And this was the very first time I had seen Mr. and Mrs. Joe Wood. And you printed that on a little card. Some of you are nodding. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And the inside of it was blank. And you printed up and you ordered as many of these as you thought you were going to get gifts. And then it was your job. At, after you got your gifts and somebody had diligently recorded who gave you what, you wrote out your thank yous. Okay? That, that was the plan. I'm, I'm not strange in that. A whole lot of us did this. Okay? Well, <laughs> well, maybe I was strange. But anyway, however, I was so busy you know what I'm saying? I was, I was, you know, 18, and I had such a hard life, you know? I had a little podunk job, and, and I was going to college, and, you know, and I was just busy learning to, to, to be a housekeeper and all of that, and I just procrastinated, and I didn't write my thank yous, and I just goofed around and didn't do that, and my father was not happy about this. And my father kept prodding me about it, or can we say nagging me about it? And he would say, you know, have you written your thank yous yet? And I'm like, no, no, I'll get around to it. I don't, you know, and, you know, I just had such a hard life. No, I was being lazy. I wasn't exhausted. I was being lazy. And then he said to me <laughs> one day, he goes, you know, a bunch of those people who came to the wedding and gave you gifts only came because they were my friends. They were friends of, of me and your mother. And that was very true. He had invited a lot of his friends. And I, I, I grant you, it sounds a little godfathery, 
Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the friends of the parents have to give a certain gift in order to remain in good standing with the father of the bride or whatever it is. But to be truthful, it's true. And they gave us all kinds of lovely things. It was 1983 and it was the year of trays. We got so many trays. Pewter trays, glass trays, wooden trays, what are pewter candlesticks, all the things a 20-year-old loves, right? So you get all of these things. And I remember still feeling a little salty about him fussing at me, and I don't think I said this to him. I'm, I'm probably pretty sure I didn't, but trust me, I said it in my head. Well, if they were your friends, maybe you should have written the thank yous. Now, what that means is I wasn't really very thankful. I was happy to collect the goods. I mean, I wasn't anxious to hand back anything, but I really couldn't care less whether or not they had gotten a thank you note. That was not high on my list, right? Because deep down, I didn't care. I wasn't truly thank you. I finally, in my immaturity, I finally wrote something, but it wasn't exactly sincere. Not that I shouldn't have done that. We all teach our children to say thank you, whether they mean it or not, right? Say thank you. You all tell you know, your child to say thank you to Pastor Joe when he gives a candy. That's a good thing to do, right? But my lack of gratitude was showing. It was showing. I was taking my gifts for granted. I was taking my abundance for granted. I actually probably felt a little entitled or indifferent to the gifts that I was getting from relationships that had been formed and nurtured by my father. I had done nothing to deserve them. And I knew that intellectually, and it didn't make me thankful. Sometimes, in our attitude of giving, our lack of gratitude represents a lack of relationship to the giver. Is, there fa is that fair? There are times in my life where my lack of gratitude, my lack and my attitude in giving at the church has been because of my lack of relationship to the giver of all good things. I've been taking that a little lightly. I've been taking that not seriously enough. Sometimes my attitude in giving and our lack of gratitude is a matter of immaturity. It just is. I just haven't learned that, right? Some of us in here grew up in the church and somebody taught you to tithe a long time ago. Some of you have felt like you should tithe and you feel guilty about it and you don't like. Others of you are brand new to the faith and you've never heard this before. You have no idea what this is talking about, right? And so, so these, are, these are things that we just haven't grown up in. And so my question is, does our lack of giving or our abundance in giving, how does that reflect our relationship to God and or our immaturity there? What does my giving demonstrate in terms of how I receive God's gifts to me and where I might take it a little bit for granted? Now, hear me when I say this, because I've heard this before, okay? This is not a pay-to-play situation. We don't give to God so that he will pay more attention to us. The 10 lepers were all healed. All nine of the ones who didn't say thank you still received healing. This is not paying for God's favor, for attention, for any of those things. It is not any of that. They were healed even before they chose whether to give thanks or not give thanks. And I also want to be really clear about how this church operates when it comes to giving, all right? Your pastor has made it his mission from day one for his entire ministry career of 30 years to not know what people give. 
Some pastors believe it is very important for them to keep track of givers. He has not. Now, it is very important that somebody does. Right? It's very important that the people who handle the money, the treasurer knows what's going on and keeps him apprised if things are going on that he needs to know. But not by name. He is not trying to figure out who gives. We do not at this church keep track, are you ready, of big givers. We don't do that. There is no list. There is no special club. There is no special dinner. There is no special handshake. There is no special treatment for people who give large gifts. No one gets a badge or a plaque on a pew or a nameplate on a chair or all the other things that churches honestly with good intentions have done to encourage and spur people to good work. I am not dissing that. I am not here to be sarcastic. I am not, you know, slamming any other church for doing those things. I'm just telling you we're not doing it. We're not going to do that here, okay? You will get an automated giving statement every year for your taxes if you give in a way that can be tracked. But here's why we don't, we're not doing that. No particular amount of a gift can be demonstrated to be 10% unless we also have a W-2 to associate with it. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no way to know that a large gift represents 10% of somebody's giving or that this smaller amount represents 20% of somebody else's money unless you know what they're giving. Do you remember the story of Jesus at the temple? You don't have to turn here, but follow up on the screen. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Yikes. He positioned himself to see what people were giving and to use this as a teaching moment. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, he said, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live in, all that she had to live in. See, we like to think that our giving is this private matter and nobody should know and we, we don't want anybody to know and, and, and we don't want anybody to know in terms of being able to boast about it or anything else, but, but clearly Jesus was watching. And the widow's gift represented a bigger percentage or sacrifice than the larger gifts. So we're not giving special recognition to people who give the largest gifts because honestly, we don't know. Because bottom line, giving is not a competition. Giving in church, giving to God is not a competition. In small groups, we're studying the book of James, and we have been studying the fact that, that there are no favorites. It is inappropriate for church leaders to play favorites to those who come in and look wealthy versus those who come in and do not look wealthy. Okay? But now listen, while we're here, let's talk about this. Tithing does represent 10% of what God gave you to manage. And no, it's not just an Old Testament law that is defunct. Uh, I'm not going to teach on that, but go to Matthew 23, 23 if you need to, some emphasis on that matter. But even if it were, even if it were an Old Testament law that we aren't held to anymore, have you noticed how Jesus treated Old Testament laws in the Sermon on the Mount? He raised the bar. He didn't lower it. He invited us to live above what we were asked to do in the Old Testament, not below it, right? He called, he called people to a higher standard. So, if, you know, if you want to up the giving, if you want to up that number to 15, 20%, you know, be my guest. Joe and I actually have done that. There have been a couple years in our lives where we felt clearly God said, you're given 20%. I don't care how little you have. I don't care that your wife doesn't have a job yet. You're given 20%. And we did. 
And there was a point when we felt released from that, and it was a big deal for us, and God always took care of us. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I'm telling you, you can go up if you want, but here's my question. What percentage of our resources of our resources does our giving represent? Because you can work the math backwards. Now, let me talk to the youngest people in the room for a minute, okay? There may be more of, of the college students in the next uh, service because they're getting lunch afterwards. But here's the deal. If you're young, if you are a student, if you are uh, still under the care of someone else, if someone else is still covering your room and board, if somebody else is still making sure that you're fed and you have a roof over your head, now is the time to learn to tithe. This is the time to lock this principle into your heart. There will never be an easier time to do it. And here's the great part. God has the easiest math ever. He does. It's the easiest math there ever was, right? It's 10%. Let me help you with that, all right? If you're a child in here and somebody uh, lets you earn $10, one-tenth of that is one dollar. You give God one dollar of that. If you manage to earn babysitting, doing whatever, I don't know, yard work, you earn a hundred dollars, give Jesus ten dollars of that. If you earn a thousand dollars, give Jesus one hundred dollars. If you learn to do things at that level, when you're not feeling terribly insecure about whether or not you're going to have a roof over your head and a bed to sleep in and rent to pay, right? When you learn this early and you finally do earn $10,000, it'll be much easier to go, God, you get 1000 And when you earn, if you ever earn $100,000, you can say, God, you get 10000 of that. It's a principle to earn early on. So again, what percentage of your resources does your giving represent? And what attitude or gratitude goes with that, right? When the leper comes back, the attitude of his heart is unbelievable joy. And God loves a cheerful giver. So first, we excel in the grace of giving through our attitude. Number two, I believe the grace of giving is found in the acknowledgement when the leper comes back and acknowledges who Jesus is. The acknowledgement giving recognizes who God is to us. The other lepers took off. They are all healed. And I don't know if they think they just went through, you know, a little mist that cleared it all up or if they recognized Jesus did it. But the one guy goes, I know where this comes from. I know who is responsible for this blessing in my life and I'm going to go back and acknowledge him for that. When we give to God, we are recognizing who he is to us, that we are in relationship to him. This isn't some weird compulsory tax, okay? The percentage thing I think makes people think it's a tax bracket. No, it's a reflection of our relationship, like a, like a gift from a child, right? And it made me think, you know, Christmas is coming, and some of you are probably lovely, great gift givers. For some of you, it may be a struggle. Which gifts are the hardest for you to buy? What person in your life is it difficult to buy a gift for? Maybe one where you feel like you're obligated, where you have to do that. Somebody's expecting it, and, and, um, and that's tough. But are there also people in your life that you love to buy for? that you are excited about giving a gift for, because as a reflection of your love for them or what they mean to us, right? That's what you're doing. We are acknowledging God's position in our lives when we give him a gift. We're acknowledging who he is to us. Frankly, we're pledging our allegiance to him. Do you know that the very first 
concept, the very first account of a 10% gift in Scripture is not after Moses gives the law. It actually happens in Genesis when Abraham has a big battle and he's having to choose between an evil king and the priest of Melchizedek who represents God. And he gives one-tenth of his plunder to Melchizedek. And, he, and the other one is, is going, well, I did this. And he says, I will give you nothing. He's pledging his allegiance right here. When we give to God, we're saying, you are my God. That's who I'm giving to today, and I'm giving it to you in that way. I choose you in the same way that my husband gave me a ring, and I better be the only ring he gave away, right? I'm, I'm choosing my allegiance with that gift. So, 10 lepers are healed in the account, only one returns. Nine of them were surely happy to be healed, but they didn't return with any thanksgiving because they didn't seek any relationship with Jesus, they weren't interested in that relationship, and they weren't giving credit where credit was due. But when one leper comes back, he throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him loudly. Loudly. Giving thanks to God is a position of worship. There's no way around it. Not just a nice thing, like Jeff said, he didn't know what I was going to be speaking about. Right? It's not just a nice thing we say, this is an act of worship. No, it really is. It really is an act of worship. Giving thanks to God... It involves the position of our bodies, it involves the position of our hands, and it involves the position of our bank accounts, right? Giving is a form of worship because we're recognizing the source of our being. Now, to be fair, tithing does take care of the workers at the temple. That's the way God set that whole thing up, right? The priests and the Levites. And Paul also teaches the early church that they must give in order to support their leaders. That was part of what they're doing. But don't let that throw you off or make you grumpy, okay? Giving is gratitude to God, it is not to the leaders. It's not gratitude to the leaders, let me say it again. Giving is gratitude to God, it is not gratitude to the leaders. That's not the way God set this up. We are so democratically organized in this country, I could, I could go on for days about how democratization has affected the church and has kind of messed up the way we see things because we kind of convolute the way we are governed in civil authority and the way we want to be governed in churches, and it's kind of silly. We're not giving in that way. When we give things these days, we're so democratically organized that when we give things, we think that we're like voting. Giving is not a vote. Giving is not a way of going, I agree with this. It's not a way that you reflect your feeling about how things are going. You know, things are going pretty good there, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. No, that's what you do in the stock market. Right? You feel embarrassed or bullish on something, you give there. That church is not a stock market. It's not an investment for your later return. That's not what we're doing. Giving is not a vote. Giving to God is, um, is the way that we express gratitude to God. Giving is also not a tip to your server. Right? I know it sounds silly, but think about it, right? If you see the church as an entity that is simply serving up Jesus to you every week, you might be inclined to see the offering as a place to throw in a 20 for an attaboy to the operation. Good job. Good song today. Good youth work. Do you know what I mean? No, it's not a tip. It's not an attaboy. That's not how we do that thing, right? But when we tip a server, we indicate very clearly that we are a passive consumer, I'm a consumer, you brought me good food, you didn't bring me good food, I pay you or I don't pay you, I throw on a little extra, right? The church isn't a server, it's the body of Christ, where he invites us to contribute not only our financial gifts, but our spiritual gifts, where we all work together, not one or the other, but both. 
The Apostle Paul, I get a roll. The Apostle Paul teaches the Corinthian church on taking up weekly offerings for leaders and those in need, and he says this, 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 14. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Our generosity is thanksgiving to God. All right? This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. Are you ready? For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you, right? The grace of giving. Giving is a generosity of thanksgiving to God. Giving is also an obedience that accompanies our confession of the gospel. Don't miss this. In James, we're talking about the fact that works indeed, that, that faith and works go hand in hand, and one without the other is not faith. It is actually dead. Even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That isn't a stretch. So belief without works is just demon faith, right? When we don't act on the faith that we have. But when we accompany our confession of the gospel with a demonstration of our faith, and now we're cooking with gas. Now we're doing it, right? When we believe, and now we're, all, we're acting on that. Number three, the grace of giving is also found in the leper story in the approach. In the approach, giving brings us close to the Father. It brings us close to the Father. This is my favorite part. The lepers are on their way to the temple when they discover that they're healed. One comes back and he has to leave the rest to do that. He has to leave his present companions. He breaks off and changes direction in order to be thankful to God, to find Jesus and give him thanks, in order to worship. The other nine are still going to follow the prescribed rituals. They're going to do the priest inspection. They're going to offer obligatory sacrifice. But the one who returns to Jesus falls at his feet because giving brings us close to the Father. I'm telling you that when you learn the discipline of tithing, it's not about building anybody's coffers. It's not about seeing somebody's little temperature marker rise. It's not none of that. It affects who we are when we give to the Father, right? When you see him care for you, even when you were nervous to write that check or you didn't sure you were going to have enough after you really calculated and gave 10% and you're like, I'm going to set aside how quickly I was going to reach those goals that I was aiming for to do this. There's so much I could say about this, but when you test God and you're giving and he invites you to, when you lean on him for your financial security, you come in close. You just do. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. I don't care where you are in your spiritual walk. I don't care how young in the faith or how old in the faith, how seasoned you are. There is always a next step. You're never stuck. So what is the next step for you? Now, for someone here in the room, it has nothing to do with giving at all. For some of you, it is this. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and the sins of the world? That's your next step. Do you believe that and have you acted on that? Have you ever professed and claimed Jesus as your Lord? Have you repented from your sins, which means to turn around and change direction from them in order to live like Jesus and follow his teachings? 
Have you ever surrendered your life to him and devoted yourself to walking with him? There may, be, there may somebody, be somebody in here today, that's something you haven't done. You've been flying under the radar all this time. People think you're a believer. People think you've been baptized. People think you've professed your faith, but you know down deep you've never really done that. You know down deep you've never really made that step. So what is God asking you to do? Giving requires changing direction. What is your approach to God? And then frankly, what is your next step in giving? Now, I am not talking, as many churches do, they use November as a time to collect a large gift, a large one-time gift. And and I'm not against that. You know, whatever people are doing, that is fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about creating an emotional response in you that makes you feel guilty enough to give something or to articulate a need well enough for you to give something or to fund some big project or some fundraising campaign. That's not what we're doing. When those things happen, can I tell you that's extra? That's over and above what the tithe is. What I'm talking about is in your regular giving, in your regular 10%, whether you're up to that level or not or above it, whatever, what is the next level of generosity that God is inviting you to in that place, right? Where is God inviting you to change direction relationally and financially? Because listen, in terms of direction, it's real easy to know where you're going to end up. We can plot that. Think about it, right? We know where our current financial management is going to take us if we don't change course. Just write it out. Just, just, keep, just keep calculating, right? If we keep spending and saving at the rate and at the places where we currently are, which funds are going to increase? What will always be underfunded? Where will I never have enough to go around? What am I shorting right now, and how is that going to be magnified over time? That's called debt, right? This is a process of thoughtful calculation. And let me tell you this, that when you calculate your giving, it it sounds perfunctory, but you're not eliminating the joy from it. You're not eliminating the attitude. Let me give you an example. Christmas is coming. You all have a list. I have a list. And if I have someone on my list that I deeply love that I'm trying to figure out a gift for, I think about that well before Christmas, I'm thinking about it. I'm setting myself a little budget. I know how much I'm going to be able to spend on this particular gift for this particular person, even if I don't know what it is, either in time or in money or whatever. I'm calculating that in advance. Then I actually go through the process of getting that gift. And then once Amazon drops it in my front door, then I get it out and then I wrap it. And while I'm doing that, I'm thinking about uh, that person And then I hold on to it a little bit longer because the day isn't here. The day's coming, but it's not here. And then I see them at whatever holiday gathering we're going to have where I get to meet up with this person, and I give them the gift. And then I sit back, and I wait, and I bring it with joy and expectation that they're going to love it, right? Just because I calculated it long ago and it wasn't a spontaneous, well, here's a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? That doesn't make the joy. The joy can be actually in the thoughtful calculation of what it means to bring my best to God, to bring a reflection of my heart to God, to bring and approach him in a way, to bring something to him and approach him in a way that brings me close and reflects the relationship with I, that I have with him, right? Right? 
So where is God inviting us to change direction today? Again, that's, this is going to hit in so many different ways, and I recognize that. What direction is God inviting you to take in gratitude? I'll tell you this silly myth. A lot of us believe that if I had more, I'd give more. You know, if I got a 10% bump tomorrow, I'd give all that to Jesus. No, we wouldn't. You'd, you'd divvy it out and keep a little, wouldn't you? Would you would, would really do that? I'm not sure we would, right? Having more doesn't make us more generous. Some of the most faithful people in tithing are people who don't make that much at all. Sometimes it's harder when the check is bigger. That's okay. And I'm not here to try to wring money out of you. Can I tell you unequivocally, we do not have a campaign going on right now. We're not short in any way that I'm trying to get you all to give. I'm trying to teach the spiritual principle that is the complete gospel that brings us close to God when we're faithful to him in the areas where we're really trying to protect ourselves, when we keep our pocketbooks over here, when we keep our wallets, that's an old term, when you keep our wallets over here, we're, we're trying to protect ourselves because we're not sure God's doing a good enough job. And we're afraid to be faithful to him and generous to him in the way that he's asked. So this is gonna be a weird ministry time, right? We always, if you're not, if you're not uh, familiar with the vineyard, if this is one of your first times here, we, we always want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. Let's come to our feet. And we have a prayer team here that is ready to pray over you. Now, my thought is that this is going to be a really personal kind of message. You're going to get home and chew on a little bit and let the Spirit work with you on that. But I still know there are people in this room who need prayer. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with finances or giving or anything, but maybe there is a place in your life where you want to respond. And first of all, I want to ask, was there anybody in the room when I was talking about you have never made that decision to surrender to Jesus and you know that God is calling you and you want to take that opportunity to go back and fall at his feet and to thank him for his gift on the cross of forgiving you your sins. Is that anybody in the room this morning? Would you come forward and let us pray over you? Is there anybody in here who is feeling that? And here's one of the ways you know God is, is moving in your heart, right? And it makes, no re it makes no sense. You start breathing a little funny and your heart's beating a little fast and your feet feel kind of glued to the floor. That might be you. Is there anyone this morning who wants to make that, that step? to change direction in that way. All right, then I'm going to make a more general call. There's somebody in here who just needs some prayer over something going on in your life. And maybe it is a change of direction. Maybe you know that you, if, you, if you plot out your life from way, the way you're living right now to where you'll be in five years, to where you'll be in 10 years, to where you'll be in 20 years, you don't really like the direction that, where that's going to end you. And you know there's a little course correction that needs to happen in your life. If that's you, come up and let's pray over you. Is that anyone this morning? All right, I'm not going to push. I feel like this is a really private message maybe, a little heavy. And uh, so I'm going to pray over us and we're going to go into this last song. If you would like prayer at any time during that song, come up and, and someone from the prayer team will come and pray behind you. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instruction that you laid out for us. 
And God, I pray forgiveness over our hesitation to talk about money, for our hesitation to talk about giving, for our hesitation lest we offend somebody, lest somebody think that we're taking advantage of them. Um, God, I pray for all of those things. From, from, uh, God, forgive me in any position of leadership I've ever been in where I've been afraid to address something that you told us to address because you didn't want to offend someone. God, I pray that your word goes out and does exactly what it is supposed to do and it does not return void. God, I pray that you would help each of us to draw closer to you in the hard places of our lives where we hold back in the corners of our life where we don't feel secure enough to respond to you in thankfulness. For those of us who've never learned to give it all, I pray that you would, you would open them up to the joy of what it is to give you a gift regularly. We ask all of these things in your name.